0: Hello, and welcome to Spotlights. This is the podcast for the Yale Forum on Religion and Ecology. And I'm your host, Sam Mickey. Every week, we have uh, somebody on the show to talk about the field of religion and ecology, or things happening around the field of religion and ecology. And this week, I'm really happy to welcome onto the show Maria Jaudy. And Maria is a professor of humanities and religious studies at California State University in Sacramento, California. And she's an artist and author focusing on comparative mysticism and spirituality. Uh, She's got numerous books out already, including one on Medieval and Renaissance Spirituality, Christian Mysticism, East and West, Christian and Islamic Spirituality. Uh, Recently, uh, very recently, with Sunni Press, she has a new book out called Mindfulness as Sustainability, Lessons from the World's Religions. It's a pretty exciting book, especially I always appreciate anything that takes a broad uh, comparative approach so that you're not just focusing on one religion, but really seeing how a lot of different religious traditions, or wisdom traditions intersect. So there's a lot of fun stuff in here about uh, different kinds of mindfulness practice, right? Whether you're talking about uh, prayer or meditation, contemplation, or even the practice of falling in love. So I'm really happy to welcome Maria onto the show today, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about her work. So, Maria. Tell us about this book, what's its message, who are you hoping it reaches, and what are you hoping we all take away from it?
1: Thank you, Sam. Thank you for your commitment to Interconnections Abound, the poster behind you. That is the message of mindfulness as sustainability. Uh, The term mindfulness is used quite often today And it is at the heart and core of uh, most of the world religions and cultures around the world. Mindfulness has to do with, and I think it's helpful that I elaborate on the term first, mindfulness has to do with mind itself. When Buddhists use the term mind, mind is much more than the human brain, and we know the human brain itself is a cosmos unto itself, uh, magnificent networks of neurons. But when we speak of mind, that would include the human brain, our physiology, and our physical place on this planet. And um, mindfulness itself, in the sense of its original meaning, means that we are present. We are in the presence of the sacred. The word religion etymologically means to reconnect to the sacred. So, mindfulness is a way of having our entire being become one with our environment. And we are actually, as the Hindus say, not separate at all. We've never been separate. We are this. We are this, thou, that thou art. Tattvam asi in Sanskrit. We are that thou, I am thou, uh, as Martin Buber said, the great Jewish philosopher. So mindfulness has to do with a practice of bringing this entirety of our being into our day-to-day existence, our ordinary existence. And it's quite a spectacular theory When one thinks about it, it's majestic. It's a wonderful term the great Sufi mystic Rumi uses about the majesty of the divine and to bring that into our our own awareness. So mindfulness is attentiveness for sure, which is often the way it's used in America as attentiveness. So a lot of centers, for example, that now use mindfulness training as a way to cope with terminal pain um, has to do with a certain attentiveness. We're using that as well, but we're going back into the traditions of contemplation and prayer and looking at mindfulness as this enlightenment experience moment to moment, the eternal now, as Meister Eckhart spoke about, the great Dominican uh, German theologian. Mindfulness as Sustainability, the title of the book is, uh, the title is, is extremely important in terms of, it, it, it is one of those titles that, that actually encompasses the book. Um, Because the title is not Mindfulness and Sustainability, it's Mindfulness as Sustainability. In other words, sustainability itself, whether it be the well-being of ourselves spiritually, emotionally, physically, in mutuality, in relationships to uh, each other, to our world, Uh, that's how we sustain ourselves. And one of the chapters is on Hildegard of Bingen because she was uh, so prophetic for our, our time in terms of integrating an inner ecology with an outer ecology. I would say the book is an attempt to bring these two together, that we're not separate. These interconnections abound because that's who we that's who we are, and sustainability on a global scale. When we're speaking of the env- environment, can uh, be exhausting. If one's a social activist, an environmentalist, without internal sustainability, it's exhausting. It's depressing creates a lot of anger and hatred. And anyone who's worked in social justice issues, as I have, knows that without that core of spiritual contemplation and practice, it's uh, almost impossible to, to keep one's equilibrium. Uh, I use uh, uh, Dr. King as an example. There are many examples in the book. Dr. King's um, reliance on his prayer life, on his relationship to God, to the divine. Um, The subtitle of the book is Lessons from the World's Traditions. I didn't use the term religions, but traditions, because the the book brings in a lot of poetry, painting, uh, of course, scriptures from different world traditions. But it tries to use a broad brush, as, as you mentioned, which I think is extremely important, because we need scholars who deal with very specific cultural and religious matters. We need to know about what the Upanishads uh, really say or examinations of the, of the Kabbalah. But we now need to be as well planetary citizens. And the way to be planetary citizens is to know that we are like a willow tree, which is an image I use in in the book, um, that has all these dimensions, that embraces all these dimensions of who we are as human beings, as planetary citizens on this planet, and at the same time recognize that we have a very particular identity and heritage. I also use personal stories because I've been teaching a long time and I I know that it can become rather deadening uh, if one doesn't in some way bring in some life into story and story being so important. In my own life, uh, I've been very privileged because my first year of life was in Senegal in Africa and much of my childhood was in Lebanon and France. When we lived in uh, Lebanon, some of that time was in the mountains in Lebanon, and we can trace our lineage. So this would be my individual heritage. Uh, We can trace our lineage back 1600 years through the village priest of my mother's village. And my mother was an extremely important influence on my own developing spirituality as a, as a child. She uh, was Eastern Christian. She was Melkite. And the Melkite tradition in Lebanon, uh, the liturgy in the Melkite tradition is still said in Aramaic, the language of Jesus um uh, the uh, Melkite tradition is a very small minority they've been extremely uh, persecuted. My mother's uh, my grandmother's village was completely wiped out uh, my my grandmother had already uh, come to the United States but uh, a lot of... Uh, her family were destroyed in the uh, what's called the um, Armenian Gen- genocide. We're not Armenian; we're Lebanese. But um, that that uh, genocide destroyed a, a lot of the um, Christian tradition in the in the mountains in Lebanon. In any case, uh, when we lived in the mountains, my mother. Would go to church. It was a very small church; you could call it a chapel. That was probably well over a thousand years old in our village, and the liturgy was at dawn. And I would follow her, of course, to church. And this had an e- extreme uh, influence on my mysticism and the etymologic, et- etymological uh, meaning of the word mystical, is mystery. So following my mother into this sacred ritual with the sun coming up, the colors changing in the sky, this transcendence all around me, I was very affected by the sunlight and the warmth. It was extremely cold in the morning, and then all of a sudden everything would become uh, warmed The wind, uh, the leaves moving, people would be coming outside and making fires to make fresh bread for the day. So there'd be all these aromas of mint and herbs and fresh bread. And in the chapel itself, the walls were blackened by incense and candlelight, uh, again, from well over a thousand years and being Eastern Rite, in this case it was a Maronite, so my mother was Maronite, Melkite, and in America she was Roman Catholic because uh, that was the church uh, available to her. Uh In the church itself were icons as in the Eastern Rite and the icons with the candlelight glowing. uh, All of this had an enormous effect on the reality I was in as a child because there was war going on. We lived through three civil wars when I was a child in Lebanon. Uh, Our apartment was machine gun. There was a lot of violence. So I mention all this because I'm not somebody who's coming at this from an abstract academic background, although that's there, but from someone who's actually experienced uh, tragedy, uh, war, poverty, uh, horrible realities that exist all around us. And how do we cope sustainably, environmentally, politically, and change those realities through mindfulness? That's what the 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 book is uh, about. I use the image of a willow tree because I can't bring myself in the book, uh, um, to say that. I'm an optimist, so I use a weeping willow for all the um, sorrow in the world and the healing that needs to take place. But a a willow is a a very strong tree. And if we can bring these practices of mindfulness into our world, I really believe that we can create a, a, a world that is sustainable and healthy.